Well, hello there. This is Brian Melanson, the founder and president of M4 Innovation. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of our Altitude Sessions podcast. We're glad you're here. But this, doesn't this jam just kind of make you want to get on a horse ride in the open range? Kind of digging it. Anyway, what do we do here? We actually help elevate the thinking of senior healthcare executives all over the United States. You know, if you look around the health economy, there's a heck of a lot going on these days. So let's get into it. Let's start talking about the things that matter and are relevant to you. All right. So, you know, one of the things with the uh, recently completed midterms here in our, our, our latest election cycle was you know, really what were going to be the key issues that come out of those those particular votes, you know, folks, what, what were the things that people were really concerned about as they went to the ballot box? And it's really hard these days really to ignore politics. I think pretty much all over this country, people talk about the political climate. I mean, um, just given the state of things and where things are, it's, it's really hard to ignore, and particularly in healthcare, because with the stroke of a pen or with some different thing going on within both either a state legislature or something going on at the federal government level, you know, it could, it could really impact an entire business model. So, you know, we always look at these things and say, all right, what what's kind of the, the crux? What are the things that this nation is really worried about? And, you know, you go back and look at the the exit polling that came out from places like NBC News as we really thought through uh, the, the most recent election cycle, you know, the top concern, it was health care. You know, 41% of the people that went to the ballots that they, they polled in their exit polls said health care was their top concern. I don't think that's any surprise to any of you if you're running, you know, business inside healthcare, whether you're at a hospital or a pharmaceutical organization, whether you're, you know, running uh, a P&L for an insurance organization. I think you know that. You know, we're probably at one of these these periods where the affordability crisis, given some of the things that have happened over the last several years, has gotten to a point where it's it's so acute and so front and center with all the NPR stories that come out about. People that go in to, you know, maybe have a toenail removed and they come out with a, you know, $19,000 bill because of something that was out of network. Uh, you know, it's probably overstating it a little bit, but you guys get the point. There's all these things that have happened that have been put into motion because of, you know, you could say because of the Affordable Care Act or because we're trying to compete more at an individual level or because the insurance model for the longest time has been built on give consumers as much as you can give them as long as someone else is willing to pay for it. In that case, it might be an employer or it might be it might be the federal government, you know, in this case through through subsidies and other things. But we've gotten to this point where, you know, things are acutely unaffordable. And the stories keep coming out more and more and you know, we're starting to see some some really interesting things happen. It's almost all uh nineteen early nineteen nineties when you know, kind of the reasons we we came here to, to Jackson Hole and, and put our business here is, you know, we were really interesting students of all the things that happened, you know, in the lead up into the Clinton administration in the 90s and it became Hillary Care and the whole discussions around, you know, should we socialize insurance or should we make it a competitive commercial marketplace? And, you know, that dialogue was actually had with pretty uh, significant velocity in the 90s. And, you know, it feels like we're back at that moment again. You know, you've got, you know, the Bernie Sanders plan that's been put forth in the U.S. Senate. And, you know, I think that with the uh, recent control change in, in uh, Congress, you know, with, with Speaker Pelosi and others, I think you're going to see, you know, again, for the first time in 
you know, uh, several decades, we're going to start to see things where, where the you know Congressional Budget Office and others is probably going to score what uh, the expense for universal health care, whatever, whatever label you want to put on it, that we're going to get some ideas on this again. So the debate's back. Is this is this a is this a free market thing? Is this a government run thing? Is it a quasi thing, which is kind of where we are today in a lot of ways? You know, what what does it look like? And what's your role in shaping it? What's the role of consumers that are in a lot of ways pretty outraged with where the system sits today and are looking for solutions? And maybe maybe even outraged is a that's a tough term. It maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's certainly, you know, a, a time when consumers are struggling. It's certainly a time when the lack of affordability is very much on the minds of middle class Americans. And middle class Americans for the longest time have dictated political direction in this country. So, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about you know, some of the things that are going on, you know, recent results in the you know, Affordable Care Act marketplace is down roughly 4%. We're, you know, down from 8.8 million to 8.5 million in the federally facilitated marketplaces. You know, it's it's not terrible, you know, given all the things that are that are going on um, around the rhetoric with regard to health care. That's not, not the worst thing necessarily. The numbers aren't bad. They're not growing. The number of uninsured certainly is starting to tick back up a little bit. There's debates around, you know, in Medicaid-based states, you know, particularly more conservative-leaning states, there, there's debates around, you know, what the the work clauses are for you to qualify for those those things. So, you know, things are tightening a little bit again just because of the overall affordability issue that we see in healthcare that a lot of people talk about. But uh, honestly, when you look at the systems effect or the network effect of, of, of our uh, industry, it's a really tough problem to solve, and, and it's that bubble really is getting bigger and bigger. We can talk about that here in a little bit and why that that is. But, you know, getting back to this, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's going on. And if you, if you were to ask for my personal opinion on on healthcare and, you know, what's the best strategies to move forward for for our country, you know, do I believe it's a centralized universal healthcare thing? Do I believe it's, you know, a commercially operated thing? You know, my honest the goodness belief is that you, know, you go all the way back to the founding of our country and you look at the Constitution, you know, the one of the guiding principles of our country has always been to, uh, you know, create this federalism approach. And there's there's terms that have been coined out there, uh, not, not by me, but by others that are things like competitive federalism. And I actually like that. I, I love the idea of California doing what's best for California. I love the idea of Idaho doing what's best for Idaho and Wyoming. Hey, let's do what's best for people in Wyoming. I love the idea of Texas doing the same thing. If you've got a belief in Texas that the Affordable Care Act isn't what you want, come up with something different. You know, competitive the, the whole idea around competitive federalism is that just like with tax policy and just like with education and just like with uh, small business, you know, loans and the approaches that you take toward that, uh, the regulatory environment that that spurs ideas and invention and other things, I think healthcare should be another one of those things. If your state wants to be an all-comer, all-welcoming, universal payer, 
that's your choice. But if your neighboring state makes a decision that they don't want to be that, that's their choice. And I, I like that idea. I like it's, it's, you know, I mean, we don't meet in the middle on a whole lot of stuff anymore, but it's kind of a of approach that you could take that's somewhere in the middle. It's not an all-encompassing federal solution. But it's also not a completely unregulated free market solution either. It's it's one that says that this is what our state is going to do, and it's one that actually allows most, maybe not all, because I know there's some things in lower income categories where this gets, gets tougher, but most, it allows for a an environment where most folks have the option to vote with their feet. And if you like what California's doing, stay. And if you don't, leave. It you know, it just kind of gets to the larger approach that we like to take here. It's it's let's start challenging some of the assumptions in this industry. I mean, you know, for you know, for fuck's sake, there's there have been a lot of things that have been pretty status quo in this industry for for quite a long time. And at times it feels like it's an industry that's run out of ideas. We just recycle stuff over and over and over again. How do we break that cycle a little bit? You know, what is what do things look like in the future? I mean, I've I've read some some pretty interesting stuff that that you know is worth worthy of being discussed. You know, at a later point, but you know, just even now, you know, on the healthcare front, you know, you look you like let's say on California for a bit. You look at uh, you know Governor Newsom, who's just recently in his his post there as governor of the state of California, and you know he's he's already out there talking about you know do we raise subsidy assistance up to six hundred percent? And you look at a lot of the economic analysis around that, and yeah, yeah that's that's a pretty valid argument. There are a lot of things that that uh, go into that, but. Certainly, you know, one of the biggest issues today is the cliff that happens in the individual marketplace at 400% of FPL. Once you, you know, earn a dollar over that threshold, all of a sudden, all of your subsidies go away, and life gets pretty tough. You know, in this case, you know, subsidies kind of naturally phase out around that 600% level anyway, so it it makes sense. It, it actually starts to eliminate the cliff, where it, as a policy idea, gets a little tougher is it, it'll cost more. And, you know, God knows, you know, we've got an, an economy right now that's, you know, running by all numerical state, numerical um, metrics. It's running pretty well. But the deficits associated while with, with this roaring economy don't look so damn good. So, you know, the whole question around money and where the, you know, do we tax more and how do we do that? And are certain parts of society already taxed too too more too too much or too less you know i mean there that that debate's never going to go away and it's really part of the ideological weaponization of a lot of issues that happen in politics now you know you kind of stay on that just for a moment i mean goodness i i honestly believe that from a politician's perspective if you're out raising money, having this completely polarized place that we're in exist in healthcare is you're probably not 
behind the scenes, you're probably not against that. Because it, it creates this, it almost creates its own narrative, you know, around, yeah, you think about what happened when the Republicans took, took Congress. It was all about, you know, we're going to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. And they raised money on that and they built their entire mantra as a political strategy around that. You know, and then the Democrats in, in this last cycle were again, you know, 41%, according to NBC News, said, hey, healthcare is a big issue. What did they, they ran on that. They ran on that topic. Their whole thing was, is preserving or growing the role that the government plays as opposed, you know, looking at how the Affordable Care Act's been good for people and relatively popular. And, and they, they kind of made the bet on that end and they, they drove forward with it. But when you look at it from a centrist viewpoint, it is weaponized. It's one side says, great, you know, so maybe they're in power now. We're going to run on a completely opposite set of idealisms. We're going to raise money. We're going to try to take back our seats and we're going to control Congress. What happens in all of that, though, is that a lot of the day in and day out folks get caught in the middle of that. That's not too great, is it? And that's where a lot of these these stories start to come out. You know, um, families that are foregoing traditional individual medical insurance because they can't afford it, or families that are foregoing individual medical insurance for three members in the family, but for the daughter who has some type of congenital heart defect, they're getting coverage for her. That's where we are right now. You know, as as an industry insider, a lot of the conversations that I have, we're at a period now where maybe shamefully, there are people, even people inside this industry, that are afraid to get sick in our country. Let that sink in for a bit. Because the way our system's set up right now is you get sick, you become a profit center for a whole lot of people that are excited or more, more than excited to A, treat you, and B, make sure they get their peace because of that treatment. That is fucked up. How we fix it is a whole different matter. But we are in a, a period where because of the complexity of the network designs that we've created on the insurance side, because of the ever upward trajectory of pharmaceutical prices, because of the issues around all the multi-tier pricing that we have in the system. There's Medicaid gets a price. Medicare gets a price for a service. It's completely different. Commercial employers get a price for a service. It's completely different. Because of this, this, you know, individuals have a different price sometimes, you know, because of this multi-tiered, highly fragmented, complex, not easy to understand system that we've created we've ended up getting to this point where the this the consumer which is the individual that's supposed to be accessing and benefiting from the system is a byproduct and that's why you start to see things like 
networks and network designs and other things start to crush the average consumer. I mean, it is a crazy scenario when you walk in and you have one procedure and then somehow the network doctor touches some aspect of that service and all of a sudden you end up with a bill you had no idea was coming. And it's even crazier that we're at a point now where uh, that's happened enough that Congress has changed, that they're, they're proposing, you know, a, a surprise medical bill legislation to say, hey, we got to figure out a way to solve for this. And that's that's where some of the changes post-ACA have come in, is that we've, we started with this world where, you know, the more prominent insurers from the mid-90s to where we are now, under comprehensive coverage approaches, said, hey, we're going to cover a lot of stuff. Our network's going to be pretty broad, and you don't have to worry about a whole lot. You know, peace of mind was a was a pretty common mantra among all of those those organizations. And you know, as we moved into this ACA world, and as as you know, the pools of sick folks have kind of outpaced the the healthier folks underneath to prop up. You know, the way that the, these actuarial pools should work. You know, we've moved into this this world where now, um, you know, we've got Medicaid plus kind of networks coming into the commercial markets, which are far more tightly managed networks. HMOs are making a comeback and have over the last couple of years. That's not the big wide network access every piece of the pie that you want and will pay for it. Value proposition that a lot of people over the last 20, 30 years have been used to. It's now a... This doctor's covered, but there's a whole lot of people maybe in these narrow networks that aren't. So therefore, there may be some some surprises that happen along the way. And and you know, again, you know, there's the NPR stories and others that come out that 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 talk quite a bit about those things. Now, kind of back on the the individual market for a bit. We'll just keep rolling back here a little bit. Uh, you, you know, it's been interesting to watch under this whole idea of competitive federalism. Things like the uh, you know states that have come back, like like Vermont and you know uh, Massachusetts, and then from a district perspective, the District of Columbia that have have come back and said you know yeah all right great so here in 2019 the the penalty for not purchasing insurance has is basically been zeroed out by by Congress. Well fuck that, we're putting it back in. One of the things interesting when you look at the the states that have grown based on most recent numbers that have come in through the individual exchanges, there are 13 states that have grown. The ones that have instituted the, uh, we kind of brought the penalty back, they weren't in that list of 13. So, I mean, it kind of lends to the thinking that maybe, maybe the penalty is an academic exercise. You know, the real juice behind creating more of a sustainable individual market is really around subsidization. You know, and you could pull out some examples of those 13 states that, that grew in enrollment. Let's let's pull Colorado forward. You know, Colorado is is a state that has seen its enrollment rise. And with it, they've done a, a really good job of pulling a higher proportionality of people that are actually accessing the subsidy. In um, 2017, it was 61% of all people that bought in Colorado 
bought a bought a qualified plan, yeah, they had some they had financial support. You flash forward to nineteen, that's seventy seven percent. So there's a roadmap there a little bit that says, you know, you want to continue to drive viability around your your individual market. You know, it it's doing the things that it takes to make certain that uh those folks that have access to subsidies are, are aware of it, they're educated on it, they're buying policies and kind of moving on their merry way. You know, it's been fascinating to see a lot of the things that are going on in more of the higher income brackets. You know, we've been looking at a lot of things and, you know, even here in, in Wyoming, there's probably not a week that goes by that we don't run into somebody even here that that's joined some one of these you know healthcare you know sharing plans and that's a whole different thing that's going on and it, it really ties more to the overall affordability cost and cost issue that we have in the system I think that people that are joining those things are on the very front end of being the galvanizing force that actually creates change in this industry because as those plans have grown and now you know the best guess is you know these these uh sharing ministry plans you know have over a million folks in them and you know the best thinking around that is is that folks are joining these things because you can't chew up 30% of your annual wages when you have a bad year for healthcare. In some cases, when you run the numbers, it's half. I don't know many people that make $80,000 a year, $90,000 a year, even $60,000 a year that want 30 plus percent of their income chewed up because of healthcare. So they're looking for alternatives. They're looking at these healthcare, you know, ministry plans they're looking at there there's a lot of fairly savvy you know millennials that we've run into that are they're actually doing kind of an annuity subsidization approach they're basically saying instead of buying some type of an insurance product that the money goes to an insurance organization and others we'd rather buy a, an annuity and hold on to the value of that annuity if we get sick we can actually leverage against the value of the annuity for for our illness. And that would be a better use of money because if I remain healthy and I do it for some amount of time, that money comes back to me instead of going somewhere else. It's an interesting play. You know, uh, you know, just kind of changing gears a little bit. I mean, the, the only thing I can say with regard to the individual marketplace before I guess we change gears is that if there's a big opportunity coming and if I'm an executive and I'm sitting in your chair and I'm thinking about, you know, what what's coming, the big opportunity is, is you know, the debate right now within the venture circles and others is, you know, is there this big unbundling event that's happening in healthcare? Are we going to be stripping away all the values, all the value in the value stream for health insurers and hospitals and, and all the folks that provide value to the overall health economy. 
and creating these one-off organizations that basically do it better. And, you know, you're starting to see that with a lot of the, the digital therapeutic classes and things that are coming out on the wellness front now that are really more tied to your genetic code. And there, there's just more and more things like that that are coming out that are very point-specific solutions that meet consumers and really do a better job of bringing through digital market to the digitalization of the service, bringing the service to them as opposed to them having to go to the service. You know, there, there are, you know, click to chat primary care capabilities. Now there are, you know, telemedicine capabilities that have been around for decades, but are, have really seen pretty significant ramps and the money that that's been put into those businesses. But it's all based on this bigger trend of how do we make the medical complex come to the consumer, which has happened in banking and in a lot of other industries, retail to some to some extent. It's happened in other industries and now it's starting to happen in healthcare. So you kind of start to think about some of the ideas that are going to come out of that or the, the opportunities. One, just in general, is it creates this massive expansionary opportunity in distribution. Because distribution in, in our industry for decades has been really narrowly defined as enrollment and shopping and clicking and getting a file to an insurer so that you can have a card so you can go access some service. What if you didn't stop there though? What if the true expansion and growth of, of distribution was was beyond that point? And what if the industry itself started to figure out ways to create secure transaction-based marketplaces where individuals could buy the latest and greatest at-home diabetes capability or care, care module, or consumers could buy the latest and greatest genetic testing capability, or consumers could chat with a doctor from the convenience of their couch 24-7 to figure out what that weird ass looking mold is the, the you know mole is mole mole is that's on your arm. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And you know, we're seeing this in, in kind of a in a weird way. I mean you're we're seeing this in in some of the, the micro specialization of even pharmacy. I mean you guys have probably seen it. You know, my God, I mean if you haven't seen it, I don't know what cave you've been living in, but things like like Roman, which that might really they advertise a shit ton on TV, and um, you know that's an example of, of a truly a digital experience that has micro specialized pharmacy to help gentlemen with certain certain problems that I guess I've been told happen when you get older, and medication that supposedly fixes that and makes you much more comfortable in wanting to have that conversation. Now, funny story on the topic of, of, of having that conversation because of the aggressive advertising that our friends at Roman have, have pushed out to help accelerate their growth, of which, when you look at the numbers, is pretty, pretty good. I, during the World Series last October, I'm sitting on the couch and my 12-year-old son, Jackson, sitting next to me, and one of those Roman commercials comes on and... As a dad, guess what I got to do? Uh, my, my son, you know, he looks at me and he goes, hey, dad. He goes, what's erectile dysfunction? 
and yeah, oh great, you know. So now here I am, and now I got I got to sit on the couch, and I got to explain to my twelve year old what erectile dysfunction is. And I was like, thanks, Roman. You know, it's really awesome that you guys are advertising at the World Series and trying to grow your base. And I I, I get there's some give and take there, but didn't love that moment. Didn't love the fact that I had to explain to my son something that's a little before his time that should even be worrying about what it really is. But that is what it is. So, you know, I mean, I, I love a lot of things that are going on. And even a little tidbit from a career perspective, you know, I, I guess just to kind of wrap this up and we'll give you a little career tidbit that I think was kind of interesting you know, I was I was just recently watching Netflix, and I know many of you do as well. And I, you know, I really, really, really enjoyed the interview series that David Letterman did, and you know, the kind of the cross interview series where Jerry Seinfeld came on and was actually kind of quasi interviewing David Letterman. I, I found that to be fascinating. But you know, one of the things that came out of that that discussion was 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 a belief that Jerry Seinfeld has with regard to what you do with your talent. And, you know, in, in that segment, you know, basically he said, you know, talent is a horse that you just find yourself on. And the extent to which you can learn to ride it, that's what I think, you know, paraphrasing here, makes a career. And, you know, I, I thought about that quite a bit and, and really wanted to internalize that. And I, I there's some... Things about that are that are pretty, pretty deep. You know, I, I think if you're as you're sitting there, I mean, and you're thinking through your career, and you're thinking about all the challenges that we just talked about over the last, you know, half hour, of which there are many, and there are many that you know, as this this year goes on, we'll not only discuss and identify, but we'll actually start to think through ways to solve some of these things, and. Is, you know, those of you who are part of what we do here, you know that, you know, we bring together executives very, very frequently to, to identify and think through these things as part of what we do in our, our, our day in and day out business model. And, you know, uh, as our core mission is really to help you as an executive think through the issues that are plaguing this industry and the opportunities that are coming to this industry so that you can not only define them, but you can actually take them and slot them into either the role you have now or the role that you dream that you want to have and turn that into something that actually not only benefits you as an individual but more importantly actually benefits society changes the way healthcare's trajectory is is currently looking today and that's at the core i mean that's that's what makes us excited about what we do i mean you know at m4 i mean we're not your day in and day out you know sherpas uh, you know, we can show you the horizon and point you in the general direction, but at the end of the day, it's it's up to you to put your feet on the grounds and get them moving and start marching in that direction and actually creating. Because you guys are the creators. You're the intellectual capital of this industry, and you are the folks that are requisite in this battle to, f to really cure the affordability issue, to help solve for solutions that, that – maybe don't exist today and actually just dream a little bit to dream a little bit more about what your business can become about what your career can become and about the team that you're leading what they can become so going back to the quote that's what i loved about it i mean you're already on the horse 
it's the extent to which you learn to write it. It's the extent to which you learn to to navigate it, to to turn it in the right direction. That's up to you. And that's what makes a career. Those are the things that are important. That's what's important. So I'll leave you with that. We really thank you for joining us at Altitude Sessions today. You know, if you love what we're doing, go to our site at m4innovation.com. You know, sign up for a free profile. Everybody can start there. It gets you involved in our community. And then we'll kind of take it from there. You know, hopefully we can get you involved at a, at a deeper level as time marches on. But certainly, you know, go to M4Innovation. we got a, the ability for you to create a, a free account. We'd love for you to become part of our membership community. We'd love for you to, to find ways to engage in this dialogue and many more. Because our business is not just constrained to any one particular part of the health economy. It's really focused on all parts of the health economy. All the things that drive the affordability issues. All the things that drive new products. All the things that drive distribution. All the things that drive the way that you deal with medical services when you interact with a physician or hospital. All the things that technologists are thinking through. All the new pharmaceutical breakthroughs. All the things that people want to invest in. We are not picky here. This is all about all of the key players in this industry that actually impact the future of the health economy. And what we were really, really interested in is identifying the right people that can actually make an impact in changing the trajectory of this industry and helping folks that are looking to capitalize this market to actually create the partnerships that will define the next five years of this industry. That's what we're all about. So until next time, I'm Brian Melanson. M4 Innovation founder and president. Look forward to talking again soon. Thanks.